engaged ecophenomenology, an eco-socialist stance based upon a phenomenological account of narrative identity. And I am Bence Peter Magosan. Introduction. Narrative identity, ecophenomenology, and ecosocialism. At first sight, these topics uh, seem to be along quite different themes, which could be somewhat troublesome, uh, troublesome to you, uh, unite. In my presentation, I will attempt to show how one topic could lead to the other in a logical way. In particular, the main idea of this paper will be that a phenomenologically consequent interpretation of narrative identity will necessarily lead to ecological, ecoethical, and ecopolitical consequences. The ideal which I would like to present is the universal, universally open community of every living being. As the beat poet Gary Snyder put it, a village council of all beings, an ultimately egalitarian community of everything that lives. Uh, I would like to show that this picture could be interpreted as a logical outcome of Husserl's own theory of uh, transcendental intersubjectivity and philosophy of life. And this presentation has two main parts. In the first one, I will treat the emergence and conceptual transformations of narrative identity from Husserl and Heidegger through Ricker and Levinas to Tengayi. I will try to show that we can already identify certain ecologically and ecoethically relevant, even crucial elements in Husserl. But at the heart of the first section will be the ethical consequences of narrative identity and the question how our relationship to the other influences, shapes, and deepens our own personal identity. In the second part of the paper, I will attempt to show the details of these ethical consequences. First part transformations of the narrative self and its ethical implications. According to the standpoint of Husserl's ideas, 1912, there is no experienced phenomenon and no accomplished act without an experiencing and, and acting ego. And this ego center is completely formal and empty. Husserl emphasizes that the pure ego has no content whatsoever, no inner structure. It's only a logical pole of experiences and acts. It is always uh, identical to itself. Its self-identity is never problematic. From this absolutely pure and self-identical ego, it distinguishes the personal, also monadic ego which is an objective, transcendent, and constituted entity. After he started to unfold the principles of a priori genesis, so when he commenced to elaborate his genetic phenomenology, he also managed to find such a conception of this personal or monadic ego, which is not only a constituted objective entity, but also a transcendentally functioning, constituting subjective agent. 
in his Cartesian Meditations, uh, 1929, who defined the monad as the full concretion of the ego and made his fam famous addition to this definition. Quote, the ego constitutes himself or himself in, so to, say, uh, so to speak, the unity of a history, quote, and in Husserl's late conception, we can find an explicit theory of negative identity. He even used the term life history, Lebensgeschichte, that he probably borrowed from Dürte in this context. Heidegger, in his Being and Time, 1927, approached the problem of self-identity from a different angle. He claimed that the classical formulation of self-identity is just an expression of traditional metaphysics and it presupposes a substantialized conception of this subject, which he considered a fundamentally mistaken and misleading concept. And the real question, according to Heidegger, is not whether I'm identical to myself, but whether I live in an authentic or an inauthentic way, whether it is really me who makes my decisions, or rather do such decisions belong to the others, and in fact they are made by them. One interesting point in this regard is and that we can already find the problem of authenticity in Husserl long before the publication of Heidegger's Being and Time. It can be found, amongst others, in the second book of Ideas, 1912, where Husserl raises the question concerning the autonomy of the person, her dependency and independency, and does the authenticity and inauthenticity of subjective existence. In Husserl's view, the self-critical and morally responsible acts of their theoretical and practical reason are true expressions of autonomy of the person. If we follow uh, in our decisions and actions the guidance of self-critical rationality, Husserl says, then we really live an autonomous and authentic life. My personal identity takes form in the flow of my experiences, in the series of my authentic and, and inauthentic decisions. Ricoeur, uh, in his theory of narrative identity, explained personal identity on the basis of our capacity to narrate our life history as a continuous, coherent narrative whose protagonist is our very self. Laszlo Tengeyi, partly motivated by Levinas and Alasdair McIntyre, modified this conception of narrative identity, most importantly by introducing this concept of uh, event of fate, Schicksalsereignis. According to Tengeyi, we are not the exclusive authors of our life history, only its co-authors, Mütterheber. We don't have a complete control over our life. There are unexpected turns in it. From time to time, there are events which, so to say, derail our life or change it drastically, ultimately and irrevocably. Our life will never be the same as it was before. Those events uh, are the events of fate. Tengay's main uh, contribution to the conception of narrative identity 
uh, which um, he interpreted in a radically discontinuous way. In Tengri's view, life history is characterized by, on the one hand, a passive genesis of sense, uh, which means that we cannot have a full control over uh, the formation of the sense of events in a lifetime. And, on the other hand, the radically unforeseeable and essentially open character of the future. These two moments fundamentally belong together. Tengri further connected this conception of event of fate uh, and passive genesis of uh, sense and the radical openness of future with certain ethical considerations and with our inevitably intersubjective nature. Namely, these events of faith in most cases take place in a social, intersubjective space, and they are mostly related to other people, to what we do uh, to the others intentionally or unintentionally, or what others do to us. A life history and a narrative identity which crystallizes in this story is substantially uh, intersubjective and attached uh, to others. The meaning of our life and the core of this narrative identity formed three uh, thoughts, words, decisions and acts concerning other people. The way we treat others, the things we do to them, say more than just a word about who we really are. In fact, these things, decisions and acts, define a narrative identity. Tengayi combines his uh, theory of narrative identity uh, with the ethical conception of Emmanuel Levinas and Bernard Weidenfels. According to this, we are always exposed to the other and indispensable responsible for her. We live in a permanent state of being compared uh, to answer her. Tengai interprets guilt, should, as neglecting or explicitly rejecting our original responsibility towards the other, or when we refuse uh, to answer uh, the call of the other. We are guilty when we reject to hear this call and don't want to answer it. The ethical life here indicates an authentic way of life, which means living in a perpetual and radical openness towards the other. Inauthenticity would mean the forgetting or intentional uh, or intentionally neglecting or repudiating of our being compared to answer the call of the other. At this point, we can open the ecological, ecological, and ecopolitical issue of this presentation. Namely, the other need not necessarily be a human person. She also could be a non-human being or even a natural environment. With this consideration, we must move beyond the focus of uh, Levinas' uh, main thought, but I think in a legitimately Levinasian manner. Uh, according to Levinas, the face of the other confronts us with our irrevocable responsibility to the other, and this experience, seeing the face of the other, enables us to hear her silent call, a call without words. The other's face tells us, don't kill me, don't hurt me. Uh, 
but not only uh, only humans have faith. The genuine experience of meeting an animal or any living being in general, in my interpretation, proves that they have a face too, which expresses the above-mentioned messages. Don't kill me. Don't hurt me. Now we can proceed to the second part of uh, our presentation, the ecological consequences uh, of this interpretation of narrative identity. Second part. Narrative Identity and Eco-Socialism. In his 2003 essay, An Understanding Heart, the Czech philosopher Erzim Kohak placed Husserl's notion of transcendental subjectivity and life world, Lebenswelt, in the center to lay down the foundations of an ecophenomenology. According to Kohak, Husserl criticized the modern notion of rationality, which is heartless, which restricted the domain of the rational to the sphere of measurable things, and labeled irrational everything that couldn't be measured. It's a narrow, limited concept of rationality that excludes emotions, values, and everything qualitative, and which cannot be quantified exactly. From uh, and the viewpoint of uh, such a rationality, we must eliminate all these things, emotions, values, qualitative matters, from scientific investigations as essentially irrational. This rationality, Kohak says, is truly heartless. And one of the most important merits of Husserl's notion of transcendental subjectivity, according to him, is to offer an alternate to the modern conception of rationality. Transcendental subjectivity, in Kohak's opinion, is a qualitative reason. That is to say, such a conception of reason which is sensitive to the qualitative features and moments of the world, and which is deeply connected to emotions, affections, and also values. For Husserl, in the second book of ideas, the practical, emotional, value-constitutive, axiological character of transcendental subjectivity is already uh, as important as its uh, theoretical uh, character and achievement. The practical, axiological, and theoretical moments of transcendental subjectivity are inseparably interdependent. The correlate of this constituting subjectivity, according to Husserl, is the life world, a subjective world of everything and everybody that lives, a world filled with emotions, values, and qualitative moments, and which, uh, which is also rational in its own way. And this peculiar, and in Husserl's view, much deeper rationality is forgotten, and deeply buried by the narrow, reifying, and superficial rationality of the modernity. These uh, Husserlian considerations serve as the cornerstones of uh, Kohak's own theory of ecophenomenology. A further important point in connecting Husserl's uh, thought with ecophenomenology and particularly ecosocialism is uh, uh, his uh, theory of non-human subjectivity and subject. 
According to Husserl, uh, non-human living beings also have their own peculiar subjectivity and they also constitute the world in their own non-human way. Husserl also speaks about animals, plants, and even unicellular beings as subjective creatures, and he attributes value to every such subject. Now, if we have a look at the main positions of ecoethics, we find, find that they could be placed in a coordinate system that has two axes, ecocentric, anthropocentric, holistic, individualistic. And thus we have four characteristic standing points. Holistic ecocentrism, uh, for example, Arne Ness and his followers, the deep ecology, individualistic, uh, entro, uh, in the individualistic ecocentrism, for example, Paul Taylor's biocentric egalitarianism, individualistic uh, anthropocentrism, David Pepper's humanistic ecosocialism, and fi uh, finally, holistic anthropocentrism, ecofascism. The classical political current also integrated certain ecological motives. In the last few decades appeared eco-conservatism, eco-liberalism, and eco-socialism. We would like to join here this latter. The particular version of eco-socialism that we want to represent is moderately ecocentric and slightly holistic. Uh, holistic to be able to claim rights not only for individuals but also for uh, populations and larger wholes. We could also call it biocentric ecosocialism. In my interpretation, it is a logical consequence of Husserl's own theory of life. If every single form of life is constituted as valuable, and uh, then we act authentically, morally, and rationally only if we treat every living being accordingly, as bearer of intrinsic value, that is to say, as a goal and never merely as an instrument of our actions. The ecological position that follows uh, from these Husserlian thoughts is moderately egalitarian, which means that it never treats a living being in an entirely instrumentalist manner. We, furthermore, linked this position to ecosocialism because it is one of the main goals of biocentric ecosocialism to find ways to maximize the potentialities of every living being and every ecosystem. This principle of maximizing the potentialities of living beings could be regarded as a consequence of the biocentric and moderately egalitarian implications of Husserlian phenomenology. The ethical and political consequence of uh, such a biocentric and eco-socialist position is the principle of maximizing the potentialities, which contains three sub-principles. Firstly, Mankind should harmonize its relationship to nature as a whole. This 
harmonization regarding the non-domesticated nature, the wilderness, simply means the imperative of let it go, of non-interference. It means that we allow the wilderness to regulate its own processes and grant it the maximum latitude to grow and evolve, and not to expand beyond our limits too much. Secondly, to minimize the suffering that humans potentially and actually cause to other human and non-human beings. And lastly, to strive after such a social system which could grant maximum freedom and maximal chances of a happy, creative and meaningful life for every human being. Altogether, it's about maximizing the potentialities of every living being and life in general. Conclusion. A consequent phenomenology of life implies such an engaged activist phenomenology, which represents the rights of all living beings and enables them to maximize their potentialities. Thank you for your kind attention, ladies and gentlemen.